Welcome to Kaya, the college and young adult ministry of Midtown Baptist Temple, a ministry seeking to pursue a deeper faith in Jesus Christ through God's word, fellowship, and prayer. Hey, everybody. We've got less space than the last time I was here. It's getting tight. I like it. Don't worry, there's room near Eric. You can squeeze in right there, I think. He'll make space for you. Right? Um, what? I'm, I'm loud today. It's good. You got me up. Get ready, guys. Um, it's so good to be here. Uh, it's, been, it's been a minute. I've been gone for, for three weeks. It's been a while since I've been in the pulpit. And uh, I just want to thank all the people who, um, man, stepped up. Uh, I'm so glad that I'm a part of a ministry where I'm not like the linchpin. Right? I'm not holding things together. I can be gone, and the ministry is going to go on with or without me. And I'm, I'm really thankful for that. I'm thankful for Nick uh, and Taylor filling in for me on Sundays. Um, yeah, it was, it was good. As you know, I was uh, with Eva in Cancun, so it's about as luxurious as I've ever lived in my entire life, and uh, yeah, I try not to feel guilty about it, but uh, no, it was the first time we got away, and it's been really since Shepard's been born, Eva and I haven't been on vacation together, so that's about 10 years, and uh, so don't do that. That's bad. That's bad that your pastor does that, so when you get married, remember, you need, you need vacations and time away. So it was long overdue, and, and we got some rest and relaxation, and uh, I'm really thankful for it. But as I was a, away, man, I'm, you might need to do something about this, because I'm going to, like, destroy these guys. This is real loud. Uh, what do they say? I'm, I'm, their faces are going to melt off if, I don't, if we're not careful. But uh, while I was away, I got the phone call um, that Mark Trotter had passed away. And so, you know, just as I was getting to a place where I was, like, feeling relaxed, man, it just kind of threw me in a, into a... A whirlwind, and so we got back in town. Twenty-four hours later, I was on a flight with Andrew and, and and Pastor Sam and Chris Best, and we went out to New Philly. And man, that was a really hard, uh, good time. And um, it's it's kind of strange. It was like uh, the last time I was in the pulpit, I preached this message. I don't know if you remember it about saying farewell to friends. You know, at the time, I had, I had no idea what that, what that was really about um, and uh, became a reality, you know. And we lose, we, you know, Christianity is a really unique thing. The community that we share here and the type of relationships that we have, they're unlike any other relationship that I've ever experienced. I mean, th- like, truly, this is what the world is looking for in their worldly relationships. And they just can't, they won't be able to find it there. Okay, what we have is exceptionally unique because what ties it together is the mission. What holds us together is this uh, unified, single-minded desire to see the whole world saved from sin. You know, we, we've, got, we've got something. We've got purpose, and, and it's what binds us together in a really unique way. But the thing about that that's so tr- tough is that so often the mission actually pulls us apart, and, uh, and sometimes death pulls us apart. 
And uh, we've, got, we've got to learn to be okay with that. I mean, like, in many ways, I'm not. Like, I'm, I'm, in many ways, I'm not okay with Mark not being here. But I also have to reckon the fact that, man, he's got it so good right now. And that what he, he strove for in his life, what he modeled for us, you know, you guys are so young. A lot of you guys are really young. I mean, eight, some of you are 18, you know. Some of you are like 15. You're not even supposed to be in here right now. You're supposed to be. <laughs> I'm not calling you out. It's cool. But, but, you know, you guys are so young, and you, and you get the opportunity to, like, to look at people like Mark, and you get to say to yourself, man, that's, that's a life well lived. That's a life well lived, and if I, could, if I could personally live a life that's that devoted to God's word and to preaching his word and, and to seeing souls saved. Some of you never really got to see Mark up close and personal. And man, this guy met with people and got coffee and, and spent time with people that you know a lot of us probably would never make time for. And he, I mean, and he was Mark, right? Like, like probably the best preacher I've ever heard in my life. I mean, this guy had all the reasons to busy himself with other things, and yet he made time for the, for the least of these. And, and I think that that's just something worth looking at and saying, you know what, I, I want to be like that. Um, and so, you know, uh, we honor him when we live the mission. And uh, we honor the Lord when we live the mission. And I came across this quote when I was thinking and contemplating all of this. I came across this quote, I mentioned it in LFBI yesterday, uh, but it's from Warren Wearsby, and, and, and he says this, he says that uh, a vagabond uh, doesn't have a home, right? They're, they're, these are, uh, someone who's a vagabond is never at home anywhere, and a fugitive is always running away from home, but a pilgrim, pilgrim is looking for home. And we're to be strangers and pilgrims in this world, and our, our responsibility is to be looking forward to the day when we get to stand before Jesus Christ and hear from his very lips, well done, thou good and faithful servant. That's, that's the way we ought to live. We're looking for home. We're looking for the moment of his return. We're looking for the throne room. We're looking for that, that glorious day. And we're living our lives in light of that reality. And so... We say goodbye to Mark. We say farewell, just like we, we talked about. We say farewell. Only for a while, though. Remember, remember that. That was, that was a crucial part of the message. We only say farewell for a short time. And we'll meet again, right? I love you guys so much. Today we're going to be in Acts chapter 18 again. And we're going to be looking uh, at this guy named Apollos. In fact, we're going to take, uh, you know, Paul's away. He doesn't even show up in this part of the story. Paul's away uh, running around Asia Minor, meeting all of the churches that he planted, you know, in the missions trips before. And now we're with Aquila and Priscilla while they're in Ephesus ministering there. We're going to meet this guy named Apollos. And Apollos is incredibly unique. In time, we'll see that Apollos becomes a very powerful minister of the Word of God. And he's listed up there like, with, with great men of God, like the Apostle Paul. He's a big deal. And what we, we're going to get to see today is his character... Uh, his giftedness, but most importantly, we're going to see what it took for him to come to Christ and accept Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. So I'm really looking forward to today's message. It's going gonna, it's gonna to be called, if you're taking notes, to be teachable. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we love you so much, and we thank you. We thank you for 
Pastor Mark Trotter, and we thank you for the life that he lived and what was poured into us and his friendship. And, uh, Lord, we're, we're, uh, you know, we're a, we're a ministry uh, of young and um, easily excited people, uh, Lord, that, that are, uh, you know, young people in 2021 are, are, are if they're known for anything, they're, they're known for, for following their emotions and maybe their inconsistency. And, and whether that's just a stereotype or not, uh, Lord, you know. But, uh, but Lord, we want to be ministers that live a life as consistent as Mark Trotter did. Uh, where we aren't easily uh, pulled this direction or that because of a way we feel or an experience that we had or the, the circumstances that, sur- that are, surround us as they change. We don't want to be, uh, Lord, as the waves of the ocean. Uh, we want to be steady. We want to be consistent. And so, Lord, um, teach us that. Help us. Be gracious with us. Be merciful. But, Lord, make us strong. Make us strong that we might stand in the, uh, in the midst of the, the storm, in the midst of the trial, in the midst of temptation, um, that people would look to us and say, there is an unwavering believer in Jesus Christ. Um, Lord, bless us with your word today. Challenge us, strengthen us, provoke us. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, I'm going to begin by just reading the passage that we're going to be in. Let's, let's get familiar with it. And then we're going to start breaking it down. So Acts chapter 18, verse 24 says, And a certain Jew named Apollos, born at Alexandria, an eloquent man and mighty in the scriptures, came to Ephesus. And this man was instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in the spirit, he spake and taught diligently the things of the Lord, knowing only the baptism of John. And he began to speak boldly in the synagogue, whom when Aquila and Priscilla had heard... They took him unto them and expounded unto him the way of God more perfectly. And when he was disposed uh, to pass into Achaia, the brethren wrote, exhorting the disciples to receive him, whom when he was come, helped them much, which had believed through grace. For he mightily convinced the Jews, and that publicly, showing by the scriptures that Jesus was Christ. So let's meet Apollos. Let's get to know him for a second. In verse 24 it says, And a certain Jew named Apollos, born, uh, Apollos born at Alexandria, an eloquent man, mighty in the scriptures, came to Ephesus. Now remember that Paul had left Aquila and Priscilla, his friends, to minister in Ephesus because he had some other responsibilities to take care of. He went down to Jerusalem to visit with the other apostles, spend time with them over the Passover. Then he shot up to his home church, Antioch, spent some time there. Some people think that he was in Antioch for as long as a year. And then he went and traveled through Asia Minor and he was visiting those other churches and his friends in the churches that he had planted to go and strengthen them, all of the new and young disciples in places like Galatia, places like that. And while he was away, he left Aquila and Priscilla charge of this ministry in Ephesus. Now the thing you need to know about Ephesus is that it was a huge metropolitan city. It was a port city. And there was perhaps as many as 300,000 people that lived there. And as if you remember from our story uh, before, that there was a lot of fruit. That they were going and they were preaching in the synagogues and in the streets. And people were getting saved and people were coming to Christ. And so they were very fruitful. And so Paul felt compelled to leave Aquila and Priscilla there. And they were ready and willing to do it. Now while they're there, this guy Apollos shows up. Apollos is a Jewish man. He comes from Alexandria. And he's there preaching as well. He's there to preach. He's like a missionary. 
And uh, one, uh, there's a few things that Aquila and Priscilla know about Apollos almost immediately, things that they recognize about him that are just incredibly unique. He's a very gifted person. He's distinguished. And so these are some of the things that they say about, uh, or they, they consider about Apollos, is that he was a gifted man. The very first thing it says is that he was an, an eloquent man, an eloquent man. He was a great public speaker. He was polished in his presentation. In terms of his oration, he would have likely been far superior than even the Apostle Paul in his speaking. That's kind of a crazy thing to think, right? We think about the Apostle Paul as this amazing teacher, and he was. He was a man very gifted of God, but the Bible actually talks kind of lowly about the Apostle Paul's teaching. I don't know if you've ever seen this before, but in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, and verse 10, Paul says of himself, uh, or, 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 or people's reflections on his letters, say that... that uh, they're weighty and powerful, but his bodily presence is weak, and his speech was contemptible. So we might draw several conclusions about that. First of all, maybe that he was a little bit ugly. I don't know. I like to think the Apostle Paul was ugly because it makes me feel much better about myself. But uh, if you jump over to 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 6, he says, But though I be rude in speech, talking of himself, though I be rude in speech, or, or we might say crude in speech, Yet not in knowledge, in other words, I'm knowledgeable, but I'm crude in speech, but we have been thoroughly made manifest among you in all things. And so compared to the Apostle Paul, we would, man, we would look at Apollos and say to ourselves, man, this guy, this guy is a great speaker. He's a great orator. He's eloquent in speech. He's gifted. Now, gifted speech is something that we all desire and want, and definitely including myself. You know, I have to get up here in front of you guys every single week, and I'm and I struggle through it. It's not, it's not always easy to do. We all want to be better public speakers. It's something that we desire. And sometimes we even lust after it. In fact, in our world today, when we say that was a good message, like talking about someone who's been preaching, that was a good message, you know, we're often referring to how something was said over the actual content of what was said. We praise men for how they present rather than what they present. And we debase others who speak meekly or, or, or mildly in their presentation. And they may even be profound in their truths, but if they don't present it the way we like, we dismiss it. You know, that's despicable, by the way. That's despicable. And we ought not think that way. You know, there's a lot of great public speakers whose the content of their speech was absolutely horrid. If you've ever heard of a man named Adolf Hitler, right? You know? Great presentation does not make a wise man. But uh, nonetheless, Apollos was an eloquent speaker. He was the full package. Uh, you know, and it wasn't just that he was a good public speaker. He actually knew what he was saying. He was smart. That's the other thing that they know. He's that he was intelligent. It says, he was mighty in the scriptures. He had, he had a knowledge set. He knew the Bible well. The scriptures say he came from Alexandria. Okay, now, Alexandria is in Egypt, and the thing we know about Alexandria is probably second only in education to Athens, in fact, right? It was right up there. It was like Athens was a center of education, then Alexandria right behind it, and so he was probably trained in the academies of Alexandria, in their philosophies, and their sciences. So Apollos would have been a very learned man. Now, I want to warn you real quick that whenever we find Egypt in Scripture... Uh, it's a picture for us of the world's system. 
And, uh, and one of the things we know about Alexandria historically is that in the centuries that follow the, uh, this moment in time, that Alexandria became a hotbed for heresy, and men like Origen came from that place, and there was false teachers and Gnostics, and what was happening was uh, that, that mysticism was beginning to blend with Christianity, and there was a lot of false teachings that came out of Alexandria in the, in the succeeding years, and uh, lots of, of, of really, uh, uh, you know, manuscripts even, like uh, the Gospel of Thomas, and, and, and these false gospels come from this region, and this is where this is where Apollos was trained. And so it's a warning. It's a warning that, that, that when we take our knowledge set from the world system, that, that sometimes we end up backwards. You know, it's cool to be smart and all, but uh, being smart and being wrong, uh, that's not good, right? So you could be smart all you want, but being wrong um, always is always detrimental. And so, uh, but now Apollos, he also says that he knew the word, right? It says that he was mighty in the scriptures, and it says that he was instructed in the way. Now, Alexandria's population was probably about a quarter Jewish. And so there would have been a lot of, of, of Jewish teachers and rabbis and masters that he could have learned from while he was there. In fact, the word instructed in the way, this is very similar to our word uh, discipled. He was likely mentored in the word of God, in the way, meaning someone had trained him. He'd been discipled by someone who served in the ministry. And this instruction beyond just providing him with intelligence and, and knowledge of God's word, this instruction, this discipleship would have produced a passion and discipline in him. And this leads us to the next character quality that we see in Apollos, and is, that's that he was inspired. He was inspired. It says, he was fervent in the spirit. He spake and taught diligently the things of the Lord. He was fervent. This word fervent uh, means boiling hot, Right? I mean, if, if, if people would just say of us that we were boiling hot for Jesus Christ, man, that's cool, right? He was on fire. He was fervent. He was zealous. He was highly motivated for the things of God. He was open in his faith. This was a young man excited by what he knew, and he was anxious to share it with others. So we see all these character qualities, right? We see that he was impressive in his speech. We see that he was intelligent. We see that he was inspired. And yet, with all of this knowledge and all of this natural gifting, he didn't have the one thing he needed. A relationship with Jesus Christ. The passage says that he was knowing only the baptism of John. And what does that mean? It means that he knew the Old Testament really well. He knew the prophecies of the Son of God. He knew the prophecies of the Messiah. That he knew that the Messiah, the Christ figure, was coming soon. He knew that the Christ figure would come to save Israel. And he knew that John the Baptist was the prophet that God sent to prepare the Jewish people for the Messiah's arrival. Remember the, the message of John the Baptist? I mean, if you've read the Gospels, uh, you're familiar with the message of John the Baptist. What was he doing? He was calling the nation of Israel to repentance. Okay? Repentance that they might prepare their hearts and their minds for the Messiah that was going to come very shortly. In fact, John had a huge following, and his teachings spread everywhere. And his followers actually, just like him, oftentimes lived in desert places and in the wilderness because they weren't accepted among the Jewish religious types. And he had a huge following, and obviously that, those teachings of John the Baptist, at some point they reached Alexandria, and Apollos came to be familiar with them. Acts chapter 19, verse 4, 
Then said Paul, John verily baptized with the baptism of repentance. That was John's message, is the baptism of repentance, saying unto the people that they should believe on him which should come after him, and that is on Christ Jesus. So Apollos was a man of faith, committed to that same message of John the Baptist. He was a missionary who had a calling on his life to call people to repent in preparation of the Messiah that he didn't know actually had already arrived. Verse 25 says, This man was instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in the Spirit, he spake and taught diligently the things of the Lord, knowing only the baptism of John, and he began to speak boldly in the synagogue. The problem isn't what he knew. The problem isn't what he knew. The problem is what he didn't know. And that's that Jesus Christ had already come. Somehow he had missed the memo. The part of the message about Jesus Christ hadn't reached him or his teachers yet. In all of his formal training, he had never heard the gospel, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the Messiah, to come and to save the world and to purge us of, of sin and, and to prepare for us a place with him for eternity. He hadn't heard that message yet. He was so close, but yet he was so far away, wasn't he? You know, for a moment here, I want to take note of a phenomenon that is as true today as it was 2,000 years ago when Apollos lived. It is possible to be within the reach of truth and yet never lay hold on it. Apollos was a man of exceptional giftedness and an innate ability, but being brilliant cannot save a person. Being smart doesn't save anyone. Apollos was a man that was so wise, so learned, and yet completely naive as it concerned truth. Apollos was a man that was so sincere, so genuine, and, 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 and earnest, but his earnestness doesn't make him right. So this leads us to our first key point. It is possible to be sincere and yet sincerely wrong. We know lots of good people, don't we? Friends and family and acquaintances, people that are kind and gentle. We know people who are accomplished and skilled, but don't know Christ. You know, the Bible tells us that regardless of how gifted we are, we cannot earn God's favor. Ephesians 2.8 says, For by grace are ye saved through faith, and not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Man, if it, was, if it was by our intelligence or what we know that we might have eternity with God the Father, then, then our professors and, and the institutions that we attend, these people would know, would know the Father, that they, their eternal destinies would be sealed. But it's not of what we know or what we do that saves us. It's the favor and the grace bestowed through Jesus Christ that saves us. We know people who are well-studied, well-read, have degrees from universities, are a wealth of knowledge and yet have not come to the knowledge of Christ. You know, the Bible tells us that regardless of what we know or how smart we are without Christ, we will never come to a place of truth. 2 Timothy 3.7 says, ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of truth. We know people who are sincere, loving, kind, who have a right sense of justice and maybe even are religious and yet have never sincerely put their faith in Jesus. 
The Bible teaches that regardless of our character, we still fall short of God's glory. And without Christ, there is no hope. Romans 3.10 says, As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. They are all gone out of the way. They are together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. But if you jump down to verse 23, it continues on. It says, For all have sinned and come short of the, of the glory of God. That's you, that's me, that's Apollos. Being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, who God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood, to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God, to declare, I say, at this time, his righteousness, that he might be just, and the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus. So yes, it is possible to be close to the truth, and yet so far away. This is why we do outreach at Calvary Bible College. That's why we do that. That's why we have a Bible study that's focused and dedicated to reaching people that call themselves Christians, that have grown up in church, that have, that have a knowledge set, that are sincere, and yet have never put their faith in Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. That's why we do that work. That's why we go to those people. Because we can't take for granted the fact that some people are so close to the truth, but yet so far away. Proximity to the gospel does not make one saved. This is why we go to Rockhurst College. Because many religious people are there. There are many people that are convinced that they know Christ. Many people that they, they grew up in church. They grew up being religious. They grew up ceremonial. And yet, all the while, never knew that they had to put their faith in Christ Jesus in order to be saved. That's why we do that. When Apollos, what, what Apollos needed was someone to show him what it meant to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And there's people in this room who need the very thing that Apollos needed. Someone to show him a more perfect way to repent of sin so that it would be washed away eternally, to be saved. Not by religion or hope for hope's sake, but by Jesus Christ, the Son of God. So Aquila and Priscilla witnessed to him. It says in verse 26, and he, be, he began to preach boldly in the synagogue, whom when Aquila and Priscilla had heard, they took him unto them and expounded on him, unto him the way of God more perfectly, more completely. Now I don't want to spend a whole lot of time here, but doctrinally, I believe that Apollos... He, he may have been saved in that, that he would have been a part of the Old Testament dispensation, right? He only knew what he knew, and God's favor was upon him, right? So, so even though he, he, he didn't know, he knew. And that's why God gave him Aquila and Priscilla. In other words, he believed the truth that God had given him, and God revealed more truth. We, remember, we've talked about this over and over again, the idea that Acts is a unique book. We don't take our doctrines per se Right? The, the New Testament church age doctrines from Acts. It's a, it's, a, it's a time of transition is how we refer to it. And so the historical narrative is strange. There's a lot of people who were, were fervent in their desire to know Christ and to know the Messiah. And they were waiting on him just the way Apollos was. And God was faithful to provide them a complete message. But with that aside, I want to point to something that's, that's more applicable to us. You know, for, for the crowd's sake, Aquila and Priscilla didn't want to create any confusion, so they, they pulled Apollos aside, they invited him into their home, and they laid out the truth of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. 
And Apollos came to believe. But I want to point something out to you. Is typically what you find in ministry and in life is that someone that's as put together as Apollos was, as learned and as passionate as Apollos was, is oftentimes equally as closed-minded and stubborn. Have you guys recognized this? You know, this is, I think this is particularly true, not just for Apollos, but in, in our world today, I think it's, it's more true maybe than ever, right? Human virtue is no longer associated with the pursuit of truth. Like, in our world today, virtue is not related to seeking after a divine or absolute truth. Today, virtue is just people hoping that they're on the right side of history. That's what we consider virtuous today, is a bunch of people who are living in a way where they're hoping in hope, hoping that by a chance they're on the right side of history. It's just true. And it's like everyone has picked their sides, and very few people are willing to consider or understand one another's perspectives, or more importantly, what the Bible says. And it seems the more educated and gifted you perceive yourself to be, the less likely you are to hear or consider anything outside of what you already know. Proverbs 12.1 says, Whoso loveth instruction loveth knowledge, but he that hateth reproof is brutish. Key point number two. The more qualifiers that one has, the less teachable they are. The more qualifiers that one has, the, more, uh, the less teachable they are. In other words, the more reasons and justifications and excuses a person has, the less willing they are to, be, to, to, to listen to truth. Now, I want to go beyond that. Many of us encounter people who aren't teachable, friends and family members, who we sit down with and try to share the gospel with, and you know they throw up they throw up roadblocks immediately, right? Like you try to engage them in dialogue, and for whatever reason, maybe because they think they know better, or because you know they they see themselves as virtuous in their own eyes, right? Or they think that they already have, you know, they're a good person. I'm a good person, okay? You don't need to tell me about Jesus and all that be saved stuff. You don't need to tell me about that. I'm good. I'm good. I'm, you know. Um, you know, I, I drive the speed limit and whatnot, and I think I'm going to heaven. <laughs> this is like literally, this is the way a lot of people think, right? And they, so they throw up a roadblock because they know better. We come in contact with people like this all the time. They are content with what they know, what they've experienced, with how they feel, unwilling to hear the gospel, but not Apollos. Apollos was eager to learn about Christ and to hear of his, uh, of, of his salvation. Apollos was teachable. He was open to being proven wrong. In spite of all his intellect and zeal, he was still hungry to hear a more perfect way. Teachable people are rare. Listen to me. Teachable people are rare. Not just in the world, but in the church too. And so I want people in the room who don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you haven't yet come to a place of faith, you don't yet believe. My admonition to you is be like Apollos, hear a more perfect way. Okay, but my admonition for those of you that are in this room 
is that a lot of us have convinced ourselves that we're teachable simply because we're here and we say that we're in. But listen to me. We know better, don't we? A lot of us aren't actually teachable. The call on the Christian life is to be conformed to the image of Christ, to live a mission-minded life. You know, we often refer to this process of growing uh, and, and, and becoming spiritually engaged as discipleship. You guys are familiar with this term. Let's, let's pause for a moment just because I like to do this. Raise your hand if you've been or are being discipled. Hallelujah. I like it. The Bible teaches us that discipleship happens as one person, a teacher, an authority, a leader, teaches another person, a student, a pupil, an apprentice, a more perfect way. This process is described by the Apostle Paul in a letter to his disciple, Timothy, as follows, 2 Timothy 2.1, Thou therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things that thou hast heard of me, among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who, may, uh, uh, who shall be able to teach others also. That's the process. Now we are a church that believes in discipleship. If you're around here for any length of time, you're hearing, I mean, probably any given Sunday, any given Tuesday night, you're hearing us talking about discipleship. We consider it exceptionally important. One person pouring spiritual knowledge and experience into the life of another person. The problem that we run into often, though, okay, listen to me. The problem that we run into often, in fact, it's the most persistent issue in discipleship, is finding people who are faithful enough to actually be taught. Not finish lessons. That's not what I said. I'm not talking about finishing your lessons. I'm not even saying, I'm, not, I'm saying it's, it's bigger than the four goals. What I'm saying is, are you really willing to be taught to have someone else pour into your life to show you a way more perfect And by faithful, I don't even mean consistent or ready or trustworthy. I don't even mean that. What I mean is people who are willing to submit to teaching. To understand that the, the, the discipleship relationship is a master-apprentice relationship. And yes, I get it. Your disciples not perfect. Yes, I get it. That they're not as available as you want them to be. Yes, I get it. You know, they failed you in this way or that. You think the Apostle Paul was perfect? He wasn't. I'm sure he failed Timothy in many, many, many times. That is not the issue at hand. What we are saying is that when you went through the cost of discipleship and you said, I want to be taught, that you actually meant you wanted to be taught. That you were willing to sit under teaching, that you were willing to have the word of God, not that person, God's just using that person. That the word of God might be poured into you and you might be refined for his glory's sake. That's what we're talking about. Proverbs 26 says, Most men will proclaim, proclaim everyone his own goodness. That's what Apollos could have done. If anyone was good, it was Apollos. But a faithful man, who can find? 
That's true in the world, and that's true in the church as well. It's very difficult to find people who are willing to put their giftedness, their educational experience, their emotional zeal aside long enough to say, I am here to learn. I mean, just think for a moment. What is it that's getting in the way of you actually learning? Is it your zealousness? I see young men and women all the time trying to circumvent the authorities in ministry, the people that God has put over their lives, trying to go around them to make themselves feel more important and to convince themselves that they're growing faster than they really are. They can't submit to the process. I see young men and women all the time who, because they grew up in church or because they, they, you know, they took some religion classes somewhere along the way, they think that they know better. They think that they have the answers. But, but you don't enter into a discipleship relationship having all the answers. You enter into it in order to learn a more perfect way. Amen. I can't tell you how important this is. It's very difficult to find people who are willing to put their personal preferences and presuppositions aside long enough to say, I want to learn what you have to teach me. And not because we revere or adore people. Not because, not because anyone is privileged to get this discipler or that. David, David isn't any more privileged to have Eric as his discipler than Nick was to have me as his discipler. I, I apologize. Dylan, I, I'm sorry. I failed you. <laughs> there is no, we're not talking about preference. We're not talking about about what you think to be right or more virtuous or this or that. We're talking about coming to the table willing to be taught. I'm so thankful that for the most part, this ministry of, is full of individuals that are faithful. Each year that passes, more and more people commit their lives to Christ and commit themselves to the process of discipleship. I've literally watched hundreds of people go through discipleship process having their lives completely changed. And by, by God's grace, we're going to see many, many more people go through that same process, that same transformation. But you know, Apollos was unique and that he was ready to be taught, ready to learn. And I wonder if there are some disciples in our ministry, even right now, who are struggling with these very things. I want to appeal to you. Did God bring you here? I mean, I'm asking every single person in the room, I'm asking myself this question. Did God bring you here? Did he bring you to Midtown Baptist Temple? Did he bring you to Kaya? Did he bring you around these crazy people, right? Did, did, I mean, was it almost seems as though it was just like by fate, by chance, somehow you ended up in a position, just like Apollos did, where he just happened to be near Aquila and Priscilla. It seems as though you just somehow got plugged in here, that almost as though God brought you here. Did he give you this church? Did he, did he call you to a life of discipleship? I mean, I'm genuinely asking. Did, did he call you to a life of discipleship? Again, not biblical discipleship lessons where at some point after lesson 18, you sign off and you're done and everything's cool and you move on with your life. Is like, I'm not talking about that. Did he call you to a life of discipleship? I'm the pastor and I'm not done being discipled. You understand that, right? It's a life of discipleship. Did he call you to that? 
then don't resist. No one is asking you to turn your mind off. You know, you've got a free will choice. No one's going to make you do anything. And if you see fit to quit and to walk away at any point, you can do that. But the question still remains, did God call you here? Did he bring you here to be taught? And if you answer that question, yes, he did, then be taught. Apollos was and is transformed in this story. His life, his life bore the evidence of his transformation. So he was a man that was intelligent. Right? He was a man that was intelligent. He was a man that was impressive. He was a man that was inspired. And yet when he comes in, in contact with the gospel, his life is changed and redeemed and we see new character qualities that take place in him. Verse 27. Teachable people are transformed people. And when he was disposed to pass into Achaia, so after he comes to a place of salvation and he hears the truth more perfectly, he's disposed to pass into Achaia. And the brethren wrote, they wrote ahead of him, exhorting the disciples to receive him. They said, hey, Apollos is coming, receive him. Who, when he was come, helped them. Helped them much, which had believed through grace, for he mightily convinced the Jews, and that publicly, showing by the scriptures that Jesus was Christ. When Apollos was teachable, his life manifested his faithfulness in two, two unique ways. The first one is that he became an intercessor. He became an intercessor. He interceded. It says, when he was come, he helped them much, which had believed through grace. So the, what transformation looked like, what a teachable person looked like, when he, when he allowed himself to be taught, he became transformed and he became new and other Christians could count on him because he was a help. He wasn't a drag on the ministry when he showed up to Achaia. He wasn't exhausting to be around. He wasn't constantly in need of bending someone's ear to bemoan the difficulties of life. You know, some of us, we can know that we're not teachable. Because all we do is we abuse the people that disciple us with complaining. Nothing's ever right. He wasn't constantly making excuses as to why he couldn't obey or take the counsel of people around him. Some of us have made a serious habit of not listening to the advice of the people that love us and, and take care of us and teach us and they're there for us to protect us. We've gotten a really big habit of saying things like, well, you know, I think the Lord's given me permission in this area. <laughs> okay. No one's going to fight with you about that. Apollos wasn't gossiping or murmuring when he showed up to Achaia. Apollos was a help. And he wasn't just a help. He was a help particularly to the young Christians that surrounded his ministry. He invested in the weak, which leads us to our next key point. Bearing the burden of ministry is proof of a teachable disciple. Someone who's willing to bear the burden of ministry, who's willing to enter in alongside of the people that disciple them, to act and function like a leader, to actually bear the burden of the ministry, to take those that are weak and put them on their shoulders and to carry them just as Christ does a lowly sheep. 
So when I look across this ministry and I consider everyone, I, I think about you, I pray for you, uh, you know, I, I want to know what's going on in your life, I check in with your Bible study leaders, I want to know you, I want to, I want, you know, and it's very difficult to do, you understand that, right? It's very hard for me to know every person in this room personally. I want you to know, despite the fact that we may, I may, may never know every nuance of your life, I love you and I adore you, or I wouldn't be here. You understand that, right? But sometimes when I survey the ministry and I consider our discipleship, sometimes, sometimes I think to myself, that person hasn't actually entered into discipleship yet because I don't see them owning the ministry at the level that the leaders around them do. They're not burdened by the weak. They're not desperate for the lost. Their heart has not yet been broken. It's still a, about them. And that's how I know whether or not a person is teachable. Now, I've seen people who weren't teachable become teachable. Sometimes it happens through a crisis in their life or a trial of some sort, or, or, or they just, one day, they're reading the Word of God, and they just, the light bulb just clicks, and they're like, man, I realize now, I realize now that that." that that I've got to submit myself and I've got to change the way I'm approaching my learning. I've, I've got to, to throw myself headlong into the examples around me. And some people, just, they just figure it out as they go. But listen to me. So far, far, you know, I see people enter into discipleship and they can't ever make it past lesson eight or nine. Usually around the local church lesson is when people realize, wow, uh, I didn't actually want to learn any of this. I wanted a program. I was looking for a program. I was looking to get smarter. I was looking for a friendship. I wasn't actually learning to grow. And not that any of those things are bad, but they're not the thing. That's not the thing. The thing is conformity to Christ. The thing is sanctification. The thing is growing more perfect in your knowledge of who God is. The thing is throwing yourself headlong into the Great Commission. The thing is being purposed by the things that Christ is purposed with. That's the thing. That's discipleship. Not those other things. The other things are just added benefits. And we know that you're teachable by whether or not you're willing to bear the burden of ministry for yourself. The next thing we see in Apollos is that he became influential. He became influential. Verse 28 says, For he mightily convinced the Jews, and that publicly, showing by the scriptures that Jesus was Christ. Note that the description wasn't that his words were eloquent anymore. The passage doesn't point to the fact that he was eloquent. That was the old Apollos. He's not just eloquent anymore. But instead, the scriptures were convincing. People came to believe in Christ because of what he taught from God's word. You're going to know that you're truly teachable when your eloquence takes a back seat to truth. You will know that you're truly teachable when your words become more than just polished. But when what you speak transforms other people's life, when your life is producing fruit, when people around you are convinced by your life that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life, when they see you, they recognize that your words are true because the way you live, your words become convincing. Your knowledge of the scriptures become convincing and people want to put their faith in Jesus Christ because the way they see you live, the way they hear you talk, and that leads us to our next key point. Teaching what you were taught is proof of a teachable disciple. I didn't just say teaching. Teaching what you were taught. Do you know that every week when I get into the pulpit, my approach to the scriptures is just the approach that Pastor Sam taught me. 
I'm not coming up with anything new or clever or more eloquent. I'm not trying to be better at anything than him. I'm just trying to take the thing that was handed down to Sam by, by Jeff Adams and the thing that was handed down to him by saints of old all the way back to the first century. Our truth is truth and it'll always be truth. I have nothing else to add to this. I'm just teaching what was taught to me. And there's too many of us who are trying to bring something new to the table, sound smarter, sound better, be more emotional, be more impactful, trying to be more eloquent, and we get in the way of the thing that was taught to us. Simply submit. Simply take what was taught to you. Be willing to admit the fact that you don't know everything. I don't know everything. I'm learning. I'm growing. I'm studying God's word. But listen, I'm going to honor the fact that something was taught to me. Timothy honored what was taught to him in Paul. Apollos was honoring what was taught to him in Aquila and Priscilla. Are you honoring what was being taught to you? I'm not asking you to turn your mind off. I'm asking you to recognize what you said when you said, I counted the cost. I submit. I need to be taught. I need to grow in my knowledge of God's word. I can't help but think of the, the phrase that Jesus used with the Apostle Paul early on, and he said, he said, why kick thee against the pricks? In other words, why make things so hard for yourself? In other words, what he's saying to Saul before he became Paul, he's saying, look, you're so close to the truth and you're fighting it. How could you be so close to the truth and just fight it all the way? And the only thing it ever produced in Saul's life was murderous behavior, violence against the church. And don't you know that if you don't submit to teaching that all you're going to do is sow seeds of division in everyone that you encounter because you're double-minded? We've got to submit. We've got to recognize that there's nothing true outside of this. That no historical record or no eloquence of some teacher that you heard on YouTube. None of that is any, any more, is not superior. It's all, it's all submitted and lower than and inferior to anything that you'll ever read in any page. The punctuation of this book is more profound than any teacher that you'll ever encounter. Amen. And if we believe that, then we will come to a place of submission and we will be teachable, and we will have an impact. We will help the weak, and we will influence those who need to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. That's what we need. Are you teachable? Are you interested? And I say this, I want, I want, I want to present this question to those of you in this room who don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You're not yet a Christian. Are you interested in testing the validity of the Bible? It's a question. It's an intellectual question. Okay, I, I want to ask you from one person who has a brain to another person who has a brain, are you willing to test the validity of the Bible? Is it actually true? It doesn't actually have the power to save. Can it do what you're saying it can do? Well, why don't you test it? And so I'm inviting you today to join a Bible study. Test it. Jake Bush attended a Bible study for what, six months before you came to faith? A little less than, a little less than six months? 
And you know, it's because Jake's so smart <laughs> that he, right? That he was reasoning. And him and Alex were working through truth. And he asked very profound questions. And he just had to work through those profound questions until the light bulb clicked. But the Bible has, okay, so you've been saved for how long now? Three months on the 27th. Three years, you mean? Three years. Three years on the 27th of this month. Wow. So three years. Is the, is the Bible as valid today as it was the day that you received Jesus Christ? Yes, Have you tested it? Yes. And it's proven itself true? I'm asking. I'm just asking as a, as a friend. Maybe I don't even know you, but as a friend, I'm asking. Would you consider testing the validity of the Bible? Find a Bible study and just attend. Just listen. Ask kind but gentle questions, Right? Be tough, but, but, but be gentle and ask the questions of the Bible that need to be asked. Now I want to speak to those of you in the room that call yourself Christians. Are you a teachable disciple? Did somewhere along the way, did you, did you think that you knew better and that you needed to stop listening? Are you teachable? Have you been submitted in the discipleship relationship? Or have you been making excuses? Have you been distracted? And if that's true, I just want to, I want to call you to repent. Because that's what spiritual people do, is they repent. And in, in our ministry, that looks like they play some songs up here. And people who recognize that something about their life needs to change, they, they, they come up here, they walk up here where other mature believers are and they grab hold of them and they sit down and they have a conversation and they pray together and that person conf confesses the thing that they're struggling with. Some want to call that therapy. I just call it good. I, I just call it confession time. I just call it repentance. I just call it getting right with God. Someone sits down with you and they talk through the things you're struggling with and they look to God's word for the answers. And if that's you today, if, if you recognize that you need to repent because you're not very teachable. You've been struggling with some sort of pet doctrine, some pet idea, some emotion, some feeling, some thing that you expected that never came true. Come lay that down. Put that down. It's just, it's a, that's, the bur that's the burden you don't want to carry. Leave it alone. Be teachable. Submit. Now, some of you, you've been hearing all this teaching. We've talked about this death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And maybe you know, maybe you know that you've been in proximity to the truth for a long time and you've never laid hold on it. And you recognize now that what needs to happen is that you need to repent of your sin and confess, confess Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior so that you might be saved the way Apollos was. Maybe that's you. And you're ready. You've, you've tested this out. You're hearing what I'm saying and it's clicked for you. Why don't you come forward and talk with someone about what it means to be saved? I love you guys. It's so good to be with you. It's so good to be in Acts with you. I mean, I've been waiting on, you guys don't understand, you know, vacation's cool and all. But I'm telling you, after day three or four, the only thing I wanted to do was to be here with you. It's ridiculous. I mean, I'm, I'm literally, I'm insane. But I love you that much. Let's not waste today. If there's a decision that needs to be made, let's make it. We're family. We love each other. Let's do it. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for this time. And as we enter into worship, Lord, I just pray that you would continue to pluck our heartstrings.
and that you would, you would draw us close to you so that we might more clearly or, or more perfectly see who you are. Well, we, we want to know you. We want to know the truth. We don't want to hope for hope's, hope's sake. We want to know truth because your word says it. Because it's absolute. It's divine. That's, that's what we want. And so, Lord, please reveal yourself to us. And, Lord, for those that are, are struggling or those that need to repent or those that need to confess something or, or those that just need to, to simply acknowledge that they haven't been very teachable, Lord, would you, would you draw those people into worship right now and come, give them the strength to come forward and to talk with someone or grab someone where they're at and go somewhere quiet so they can have a real conversation? Maybe they need to grab their discipler or someone of influence in their life, a Bible study leader. They need to pull them aside. I need to have that conversation. Would you show them what they need to do, Lord, please, even right now? I ask this in the name and the power of your son, Jesus Christ, and the authority of his death, burial, and resurrection. Amen. today's message encouraged you to follow Christ in his word. For more information about Kaya, for service times and information about our disciple-making ministry, please visit our website at caya.live.